Hello friends, and welcome back to the Dreamcast Game Library, and welcome to the Stage of History. That's right, today we are doing Soul Calibur, one of the greatest fighting games of all time in my personal opinion. So, let's, let's dive right in. Normally at the start of every episode, I'll uh, introduce myself, Dominic Goulden, the host. I'll give you some video game recommendations. This week, however... I've probably not been playing much that is new to me or new to the podcast. I'm still playing my way through Eternal Darkness. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Soul Calibur this week, obviously, to prepare for the episode. Uh, I don't think, really, um, that there's much else going on. So, uh, well, we'll just dive straight into it. Boy, oh boy. The Dreamcast sure had a lot of fighting games, didn't it? Um, it really did. So, uh, up on preparing for this podcast, I've kind of had a look through all the roster of games for the console and um, there's a an embarrassment of riches. Not all riches, they're not all hits, but there are some really, really good ones out there. So the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to choose one or two absolute bangers to focus on, one of which being Soul Calibur, and the others I'll probably do in some kind of mop-up episode where we just talk a little bit about each of them. But with that said, let's dive in and talk about Soul Calibur. So... What is it then, exactly? It's the sequel to what was in the UK called Soul Blade, but I believe overseas was called Soul Edge, which was a PS1 fighting game. The thing that differentiates the Soul series, um, as it is, is kind of weapon-based combat. So at the time, the fighting games that were around, you had Mortal Kombat with a focus on extreme violence, uh, Virtua Fighter and Tekken, with a focus on hand-to-hand -hand combat, but sort of technical ability and stuff. You had Street Fighter with a focus on combo and speed. Dead or Alive with a focus on being horny, from what I can gather. Um, and then you had you had Soul Calibur uh, out here doing something different, where everybody had a weapon. So why does everyone have a weapon? Well, it's a historical-based fighting game. Obviously not hugely historically accurate, but... The figures are meant to represent certain times from history. So before we jump in and talk about how it plays and talk about the modes and things like that, I thought I'd just give a quick rundown of the roster as it appears in this game. Because we're now, I think, on Soul Calibur 6. So if you haven't played this one, and I really would recommend going back to it because it, it still runs like a dream, and you might want to know who's in there. Just got the roster here for me. I'll give you a quick summary of each character. So you've got Cervantes as a returning character. He is the Spanish pirate character who was the main villain in the first game. Fun fact, he is named for Miguel de Cervantes who wrote Don Quixote. So he's a cool zombie ghost pirate guy who fights with two swords. I was going to go through some of the character backgrounds in this episode, but upon reading the background for Rock, and finding it very problematic, I decided not to. Uh, Huang is a... Well, it says he fights with a Chinese sword, but I could have sworn he was a Korean character because he's related to another character, Sung Mina, who's Korean. Either way, Huang is a cool warrior dude, fights with a curved sword, and his stage is the Silk Road. He's a bit of a badass. He's quick, he's speedy. He dances with a floaty, pokey style, and I like him a lot. I've been, I've been playing mainly as him. This week, Mitsurugi is our token samurai character uh, based on Miyamoto Mushashi, 
visually based a little bit on Yukio Mishima. So you've got reference there to two prominent figures in Japanese history. One being a samurai, one being an author. He's a cool character. He fights how you would expect with a katana. Fun fact, in certain provinces or certain districts in the world, he was replaced with a Caucasian character called Arthur. So, for instance, in Korea, where samurai imagery is, is not viewed fondly due to some political history, he was taken out of the game and replaced with this Arthur dude, who I've never seen in the game, so I can't comment on Arthur. I think it was just a palette swap situation, though. We've got the aforementioned Rock, who I thought was just a big caveman guy, because he's just some big muscly dude with like a skull on his head and fights with a big bone club. This is where I decided not to read the character backgrounds because I read his and I was like, ooh, that's a bit problematic. But he looks after a little kid called Bangu and that's cute. Sungmina is Huang's sister who he's trying to look after. She fights with a Zanbatao, which is like um, a spear with a curved blade on the end. She's quick, she's fast, she's cool, she's an interesting character. Siegfried is a big knight lad who's a little bit like Guts off Berserk in the fact that he has an enormous two-handed sword. He was my favourite character when I was a kid. Got Sophitia, who's a Greek goddess, fights with sword and shield. Taki, who's a ninja, fights with dual blades. Voldo, who's a pervert. No, I don't know. Voldo's an odd character. He's like, um, in the late 90s, Marilyn Manson was big, right? Marilyn Manson videos, and Voldo kind of feels like he came out of one of them. He's all bound in leather and like vaguely breathing erotically all the time he's he's kind of an odd dude although i do seem to remember his backstory being kind of tragic so again another reason that we give the backstories a miss arthur we've talked about not in my game uh, astaroth is some kind of evil warrior priest with an exposed beating heart and a massive axe he's very cool ivy is the fan service weird horny character but she fights with a really cool sword, actually snake sword. So it's this small sword that breaks off into a bunch of pieces. So she can use it as a whip and hit people from a long distance. Killick is another new character for this game. He fights with a bow staff. And he strikes me as like your tropey, young, idealistic uh, anime protagonist guy. He's cool. I like Killick. Um, and you could do some really good combos with his staff. Getting used to all the different fighting systems. Every weapon has a very different fighting style and and you can really lean into them all which is, is nice i'll talk more about that in a minute just running down the last of the characters lizard man is a lizard man <laughs> he fights with a sword and shield maxi is a pirate with an elvis haircut who fights with nunchakers so that's maxi nightmare is the corrupted version of siegfried canonically off the back of the first game siegfried got the soul edge sword Turned into Nightmare, a big hulking abomination of a knight holding the Soul Edge weapon. Zhanghua is a Chinese lady that fights with a thin sword. Yoshimitsu is a crossover character who also appears in Tekken, who's a really weird ninja that makes lots of odd noises. And then the boss character of this game is Inferno, who's just a really generic... You know when fighting games just had generic bosses because they couldn't be bothered thinking about anything cool to have. Not a problem Mortal Kombat had, but some fighters had. So Inferno is just literally a standard character model on fire. Boring character. He's just the the end into your arcade mode style. So, we've got all of our characters there. And as you've probably picked up from the listing, they all have very different fighting styles. Some are hulking and slow and strong, like Astaroth and Rock, uh, Siegfried, Nightmare. 
Some are really quick and nimble, Safitia, Taki, uh, Maxi, etc. Everybody has their own unique playstyle, and you really can feel it. It's not just um, tacked on, it's not just aesthetic. It's one of the most intuitive fighting games, I think. I don't play a lot of fighting games. I don't think they often have a lot of replay value. If I think about something like Mortal Kombat, for instance, and I love Mortal Kombat, but generally the characters are balanced exactly the same. Same movement speed, a lot of the same moves, and they just have a few different specials. This game's totally different than that. All of the characters have different attack speeds, different ranges, everything like that. It really varies it up. But the main reason I chose to speak about this one, as opposed to some of the other fighting games on the Dreamcast, is because of the mission mode. A little bit about my history growing up. I didn't really like playing games in a multiplayer capacity. Never have. I've always had the option, but whenever I've had friends around or been to friends' houses, we've always just kind of done the single player mode of a thing and played what we call Passover. We just passed the controller around. You know, I'm sure that's a common thing people did back in the 90s. So I remember playing Resident Evil with my friends, obviously a single player game. We beat it, we had fun, we just passed the controller over after each save or whatever. So that's the way I've always played games. I've never been a competitive guy, so I don't really like battling against people. And co-op mode in the 90s, we all had small tellies, so it just wasn't viable. I love it when fighting games go beyond the kind of arcade and, and start giving you something to do as an individual. And mission mode is that. So you had something like that on Soul Blade as well, but basically you get a big map of the world with locations and you hover over a location. Obviously, this is all a little bit smoke and mirrors because it is just more of the same fighting game. But the way it's done is convincing enough and feels authentic enough to feel like you are having a new experience with the game. So, for instance, it starts out in the Proving Grounds and you're training with the Edge Master, who is an unlockable training character who can mimic everybody's fighting styles. You do all of your missions with him. There's like five training missions. But before every mission, it gives you like a little bit of um, a little bit of narrative written, you know, descriptively in kind of a novel style, talking about the, the environment and, you know, um, giving the characters a little bit of depth, which I like. And then you get on your merry way, searching around the world for the soul uh, blade is, is the, you know, the point of the game, the soul edge. So you're going across all these different countries in the world and meeting different people. Every time you go to a location, it will give you a rundown of what's happening. So, you know, off the top of my head, you, you arrive in a marketplace at midday, the sun is high and beating, you can feel the sweat beading off your head, you'd give anything for a drink, you're parched for thirst, you meet a young merchant, blah, 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 blah. There's, you know, this kind of like D&D sort of thing. Like if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons campaign, it's that kind of thing. It's, it's a short descriptive story that gets you from A to B, but it does the job and it feels good. And it feels like it fleshes out the world a little bit obviously an arcade fighter doesn't need to have the deepest lore in the world but this this does a good job of, of making you feel like you're on a little adventure and of course some levels will have conditions so for instance Sophitia's stage um is is up on a, a greek shrine in a mountain so the the mechanic they give that is oh you're on a mountain so the wind is blowing you away and it is that that's when you get on that stage it blows you off the side of the stage it blows you towards the edge because it's one of those games where you can get a ring out kind of ending given the mechanics they were working with being a late 90s beat-em-up game 
I feel like they really did a lot to add depth and intrigue to it and it's something that gives it replayability for somebody like me another level is because part of how you progress in this is earning money and buying unlockables and certain unlockables will then give you a new stage so for instance there's an arena that you find a coliseum um, and you go and, and you're like oh there's a fighting tournament if you can beat all the opponents you get x amount of money and you can quit at any time so if you beat just one person you get 10 gold if you beat two you get 20 three you get 40 etc all the way up to i think about seven people and it's a tough little challenge and it's fun but you want that gold because you want to buy random pictures or whatever it is so you want bgms or pictures of the characters but sometimes you'll I don't know, buy a picture of Siegfried and it will go, oh, you've unlocked a new location in the world and you get a new mission. That's how you progress. That's how you explore the whole map and eventually find the, the Soul Edge. So it was a lot of fun um, and, it, and it feels like a good little adventure. So for someone like me who values single player more than anything, that, that really meant the world to me when I was playing this as a kid and still does now. That's the thing I've had the most fun with playing it this week because I don't really care for online gaming obviously i've nothing against it if people want to do that that that's great i'm glad that people enjoy it um i'm certainly not saying oh, we shouldn't have online games because a lot of people that's their primary motive of having fun but for me it just doesn't doesn't mean anything um i don't care for multiplayer i don't really care for online so i just want there to be single player experiences out there still um, and obviously there still are some good ones, there still are some good games out there that are predominantly single player, but I think in, in this day and age there's, there's increasingly a focus on we've just made a game engine that's to be used online. Obviously I've never played something like Fortnite, but I'm aware that the main appeal of something like Fortnite or PUBG or League of Legends etc is to just play online with your friends, and that's just, just not for me, because my friends wouldn't want to play those things online. We still do the same thing. We will still go to each other's houses and play, even though we're in our 30s. You know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I'm not saying I should take my advice on game designs, but all I'm saying is that, for me, a good, strong single-player mode is, is something that, that means a lot to me. And the Soul Calibur series, generally, from what I can gather, has stayed really strong. I think the last one I bought was Soul Calibur Five, and I think we're on at least six now. Um, so I don't know if this mission mode thing stayed throughout and I know they did make a little bit of a, a nod towards going online but they also did the whole character customization thing which is amazing. Some of those designs um, that people come up with are absolutely incredible and some of the challenges that you have to do to unlock those designs are a lot of fun. So for me Soul Calibur is something that has stayed engaging for single player and Probably every iteration of the game has, to some degree, improved, I, I think, on the basic formula. And I've never played a bad one, I guess is what I'm saying. But if you're ever looking for just a solid beat-em-up experience, especially if you haven't tried this franchise out, this is a great one to start off with. I love Soul Blade for the PS1, but it's, you know, jagged and pixely and blocky. This is the first one that really, really looks beautiful. This game must have been pushing... The, the Dreamcast's capability because this looks great even by today's standards. So yeah, I'd highly recommend it. I really don't have much more to say on it. You know, I've, I've spoken for probably as long as I can on a basic beat-em-up game, but it's one that has a fun place in my heart. I have a lot of happy memories of playing it and I'm enjoying playing through it again now. So 
big big recommend as always i think i've got an idea of what we're going to do next episode and i think it's also going to involve big big swords or at least one very big sword um so you can maybe try and guess if you can think what dreamcast game that might be which features a protagonist with an enormous sword some might say too big to be called a sword there's a little clue for you um okay guys and with that in mind i will love you and leave you thank you very much for listening take care of yourselves and catch you in the next one (laughs) 